Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. God's holy word, and I, I know I, I just a little bit of time I've got to spend with your pastor, I'm sure he would echo this, is that there is no more exciting word spoken in God's house than the word of the Lord. So let's look at the word of the Lord. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will wander away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, endure suffering, and fulfill the... uh, I'm sorry, my my page moved here. uh, As for you... I can get this back up there. I'm sorry. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the privilege I get to come here and worship, Lord, with your, with the, with your beautiful church. God, I, I've been so blessed seeing the people of Emmanuel fellowshipping and spurring each other onward, Lord. I enjoyed sitting in on their, a Sunday school class today and just seeing them talk through Scripture together. It was a beautiful thing. Father, we praise that you are a God that is worthy of all worship, that you are worthy, Lord, that there, you are that in which there is none greater. So when we give our lives to you, Lord, we are literally giving our lives to the greatest thing possible. Father, I pray today as I speak that you will speak through me. Fill, fill me with your, with your spirit, Lord. Drive me. Let my words be your words. God, I pray as we continue on this afternoon, as the, the gospel is shared in this community, Lord, I pray that you do a work, Lord, that even now you are going before and opening doors, Lord, preparing hearts to receive your word. And I pray that lives are transformed today, Lord. I pray that people are called today, God, and I pray beyond all else that you are glorified today. In your holy name I pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, this passage is, is just, it just gets me stirred up. It gets me excited. You know, the first thing we notice in is our charge. Our charge. You see, how many of uh, how many things? Uh, now, now, this is the thing. Many things are in short. Uh, or, there's a lot of things in this text in short, and it's, we have a short amount of time to dive into. If I can speak properly, we don't have the time to go in depth to everything, but we're going to do our best just to to look at the, the mountaintops and to get as deep as we can into each of them as we go. But the first thing I want you to notice is the charge given to us and the task given. Oftentimes, we have the temptation to make much of our walk with Christ optional. Come to church, and if you'd like to, come back for discipleship on Wednesday nights. Come to Sunday school for discipleship. But here's the clear thing that we must understand, that we who are in Christ are called to abide in Him. We are called to abide in Christ. We clearly see this in John 15, 5, when He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we are in Christ, then we abide in him. If we are abiding in him, then we bear fruits. And those fruits should be in keeping with the repentance that we talk about. Listen, we can say words that are easy, but we want our fruit to bear this. Matthew 3, 8 says this, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So what God has done in our lives, the fruit of that should be that we, that should be the reflecting the Savior in which we are abiding in. Right? And so as we, um, 
And in doing so, we must not fall prey to the stagnation of the world, but focus on the task given to us. We can't fall stagnant to all the things that just grab a hold of our lives and we end up just sitting still. God's faith is, this faith is motion, it's movement, it's continuing, right? Matthew 7, 15 through 23. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolf. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but every diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad, bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And this specific, I want you to notice this last part. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, we must reflect the Savior in whom we claim. It's like as we reflect our parents in many ways. Now, in that passage, Jesus is warning us about false prophets. He's warning us about our own lives. But here's the, the root of why I wanted to pull that scripture. is because you look at it and you see the fruit is what we tell. It's what we see. It's the display of what Christ is doing inwardly in our lives. As I said, it's like we reflect our parents you know, my dad, I'm, I'm six foot seven. If you see my dad, Larry Gibson, he's six foot eight. So we, we stand out. We can find ourselves in a room. Let me tell you what, right? You just look over everybody's head. And, you know, I know as I got older, I, I began to reflect my dad in many ways. I remember as my, my, you know, we all know dad jokes, and they're the best kind of jokes, let's not lie, all right? But I remember as I started to get a little older, and all of a sudden I'd start telling dad jokes, and my sister would lovingly elbow me on the side and say, that was a dad joke. And she didn't mean it was a dad joke. She meant that was a joke my dad would have said. I recall sitting at the table, and I, one day realizing that we yawned the same way. We both yawned. It was like, oh, that was like the same. We, we reclined in a similar manner. We looked like it. Not only that, spiritually I looked like the work and the things that my dad poured into my life as a young man. We reflect our parents, not only genetically, but we also reflect them in our, in our actions, in the ways we live our lives. And in turn, we must reflect the Savior to whom we claim, the Savior who transformed our life. See, God has done a mighty work in, in me and who I am. You see, where I was at, my dad, I said he's a pastor, right? So I grew up a PK in church. If you know what a PK is, it's probably, you're probably a pastor's kid, right? That's what it stands for, pastor's kid. And being a pastor's kid can be very difficult. And when I was a young boy uh, in sixth grade, I remember I had uh, just the people who were near and dear to me tried to fire my dad. And I don't know if there's anything that hurt more than that moment right there. It was terrible. I didn't get invited to my best friend's sixth grade birthday party. And that really stung. I felt very alone and isolated. Everything that I had held to dearly just felt like it had turned on me. It made me really angry at the church. And it happened again in eighth grade. And Man, there was just some soil that needed to be tilled. And my dad's a faithful man. And it was a difficult time. And I remember being so angry and, and hurt and then I, as that began to, to kind of just rebel, rebel again a little bit from church, I began to chase the things of the world. And I said, okay, I'm going to be cool. And I was six foot three as a freshman. And so my basketball coach was like, hey, why don't you come play basketball? And so I decided to do it. Here's the, old, the real problem with that thing. Okay, y'all ever heard the term white men can't jump? <laughs> Hello, my name's Dan. All right. 
and I can't jump. And so I remember I got in there and uh, we're playing and I was just, I was uncoordinated. I had played basketball for fun but had no real fundamentals. I just had one thing going for me. I was big, okay? And I remember sitting there and at one point in practice, my coach just said, okay, Daniel, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a drill. Just go stand under the basket and people are going to try to score around you. Like that, just get big, right? That was my task, okay? And I was good at it, all right? But I recall that, and that, but you know what happened was as my life went on, basketball just didn't, didn't do it. Friends didn't do it. I just had this void, this hole in my heart that I knew I wasn't living as God had called me to live. And so at, 16, at 15 years old, 16 years old, life began to just really hit me hard. And at 15, I decided that I was going to, uh, I just didn't see any purpose on living anymore. I... I, I I remember just feeling so desperate, so lonely, so broken. Like I, I thought that everyone else had all their life together and here I was and I just couldn't do anything well, anything right. Everyone was better at it than me. And I, I literally wrote a note to my parents apologizing and I called myself a parasite in it. I remember it clearly. But God, I was in my room by myself one night and I was literally, in the last moments, I'd written my note, I was getting ready to end my life. And as I was at the last step before I was going to do it, I was overwhelmed with that I was loved. I had an uncle who committed suicide when I was in sixth grade, and I remember watching it destroy my grandmother. And I saw my mother, and I couldn't do it to her. And if anyone here is feeling that way, let me tell you what, you're loved. And people care for you. But as I got ready to take my life, I remember seeing that, and I got on my knees in my bedroom by myself, and all I could do was cry out to God and say, God, I don't know. I know what you tell me to do in your word. I know what I've talked about in church, and I know I'm not doing it. So please, God, I cannot go one step further. I tell, I, I, when I share my testimony, I, wanna, I just say simply, uh, Daniel Gibson was going to die that night, either a spiritual death or a physical death, because I could take it no further than that moment right there. And as I prayed that prayer, man, it's not like I woke up and I got up on that ground and everything was different. I was still depressed, I was still hurting, but there was something different in my life. It was a drive. I'd made the hard calls of calling my parents and telling them what was going on. I mean, it was all a difficult road. And to this day, I struggle with depression. But here's the beautiful thing is that I realize I have a purpose for living. And it's not by my goodness. It's not by my greatness. It's not by my, my spirituality in which I am judged. But it's by Christ. And in turn, because of the work of Christ in my life, I can do one thing. I can move closer. I can reflect the Savior who was so drastically transformed my life. You know, when I... I didn't, I couldn't, as you could probably hear, I, I have a reading disability. So as I was starting to be, feel called into ministry, my biggest fear it was that I'd get up and I couldn't read well enough. You got to do that as a pastor. I don't know if you know that or not. And so I, did, I was terrified of it. I, could, I didn't like public speaking. I just, there was all these things that there were all in the way. But let me tell you what happens is it's, it's God. God tells us to go and to do, and when, he does, when we go, He is faithful to walk with us. And because He is faithful to walk with us, we reflect the fruits of what He's doing in our lives. But when we find ourselves stagnated in all of what is a lot of times good things, but we're not doing what God's great things are, we can find ourselves not growing in our walk with Christ. We're called to go and to realize our charge is by God, by His kingdom and His appearing, right? Which gives us our focus. 
Our focus, right? I want you to notice the clear focus given to us in verse 1 of our text. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom. We are charged with the glory of one. Not many, not multiple, one. And it's by his authority and his kingdom that we have any authority to stand on. We are not empowered by our, by our own good. Or no, it is by Christ, his death, and his resurrection that we have the ability to go out and to do what we're called to do. We must not be prone to wander off into what I call the little K. Right, we can get really focused on the small kingdom, my kingdom, my territory, my church, whatever it is. But here's the thing. We are supposed to be focused on the big K, which is the kingdom of God beyond our walls, beyond what we're just instantly achieves for us, but what brings glory to God. We can see it happen on grand stages throughout the Old Testament. Samson, you know, you think of Samson and he's the, one of the judges of Israel, but what does he do? We begin to see these little steps of his heart wandering from God. And what does Samson do? You know, we, we remember the lion. He goes up to the lion that's dead and it's got a, uh, a, a, a honey beehive in it. And I don't know why you'd want to eat honey out of a dead animal. All right, Samson's a little weird, right? But he dips down and he eats this honey and he's supposed to not touch anything dead. So now he's unclean. But not only is Samson unclean, but then he takes that same honey back to his parents and then makes them unclean unknowingly to them, right? So, so what has Samson done? He's not only has he sinned, but he's led others to sin as well. Or Saul, King Saul, when he's there and, he, and he, he tries to make a sacrifice upon his own authority rather than the way that God has intended it, right, in order to control, we cannot lose our focus upon God. We must keep our eyes focused upon him, upon his kingdom. And what do we preach? If you're going to go out and do the evangelism today, I want to implore you, what do we preach day in and day out? You may say, well, Daniel, I'm not a preacher. eh? You know what? Listen to me. You're called to share the gospel and to preach the good news. You may not be called to a vocational or to to preach on a pastoral elder elder role, but you are called to tell others about the gospel and about Christ. And what do we preach? 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew and the folly of the Gentile. We preach Christ crucified. This is, is that in which we preach to the world around us. Not simple moralism or behavioral modification, but only that the, that the work of salvation is the only way to be good and to be, brought and to be made holy because we are incapable of being good enough for God. It is only by Christ. See, we, we try to hold people to a moral standard, but let me tell you what, apart from Christ, I can do nothing good. Remember, Romans, no one is good. No, not even one. No one seeks. We look around the world around us, we see them, they're broken. We notice it. We hear it. But let me implore you, it is only by Christ crucified that they can have hope. It is only by the work of Christ that they can. John 3.20 says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. We must, not, we must stick, rather, to Christ crucified, not get lost in the weeds of all that is wrong with man, for it is only in the work of Christ that we can experience the hope. That, and to, in order to experience that hope, guess what we have to do first? We have to die. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old has died and the new has come. The old has passed away and the new has come. So we understand that, listen, when we look at the world around us in their brokenness, we have to realize that they need Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we don't preach truth. Don't misunderstand me to say that we just, co- we just gloss over 
the truth. No, we are focused in on the truth of what God is doing. And we preach truth, but we have to realize that we preach Christ crucified, for it is in Christ that I am able. It is in Christ that I am made holy. So now that we grasp our charge, how does Paul direct young Timothy in this? Let's look at our method for a few moments here, our method. See, Paul outlines a series of truths that are like plumb lines to how we engage in this fallen world, boundaries, things that help us stay focused. Notice verse 2 with me, if you would. It says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So let's notice six truths real fast from this. It says, first off, we preach the word. I believe that most of us here today would affirm that the Bible is the word of God. Yet, often we neglect in our lives, to, and, and, and we, uh, we neglect it in how we approach our lives and what we do and how we make decisions. We find ourselves standing on our own authority when we speak to those around us in debates and on moral ideals and ideologies and missing the greater strength of the whole Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. It is in the Word of God that we find hope. It is in the Word of God that we find our strength. It is in the Word of God that we are equipped for the task laid before us. And as this culture finds its way to moral relativism and in the absence of an absolute truth, I want to implore you, we must not forget our bedrock that is the Word of God. We also must not, we must not arm ourselves to preach things that are not in the Word of God. That is, that we understand the Bible calls us to death and death itself. So in that, we don't get lost in the weeds of all these things and things that are good things. We want to preach what the Word of God says and stay rooted in the Word of God. And then realizing that the Bible is a call to death itself, to transformation. It's a book of transformation. And that is not something that our world wants to hear. It doesn't want to be transformed. It wants to be in what it, uh, we want to be as we are. We want to live in our sin. Which is why I think Paul so clearly calls us to have an unwavering focus next. As he calls us to be ready in season and out of season. In verse 2 as it continues. We must be ready and vigilant, realizing that our call is not simply a Sunday or Wednesday one or to big events like you're going to do today as you go share the gospel or even the wonderful things like the Resound Fest is what it's called, correct? It's a beautiful event and I pray that God does a mighty work in it. But let me tell you what, the gospel is a daily task, not just at those events. Those are wonderful and we should engage them and pray for them, but realize we're called to be faithful to the gospel day in and day out. It's a call to be a every day to be a faithful believer with our whole lives and how we work, how we live, how we parent, how we grandparent, how we shop at the supermarket. In every task that we do, we are called to live for Christ in everything that we do and be ready in season and out of season. Listen, lives and relationships, the, the reality of the gospel takes time. It's, it's, I gotta realize I'm broken. That doesn't mean there can't be a, a quick conversation where you share the gospel and somebody gives their life to the Lord. I don't mean to, to detract from that. I mean to say that the people, your colleagues, your peers, your family, we want to day in and day out reflect and preach Christ with our words and be ready in season and out of season for the work that God's called us. We don't take off time from being a follower of Christ. Next we see to reprove, right? To reprove. And here's something I don't want you to miss. The gospel's hard. 
It's literally, as we've said, a call to death itself. But Paul calls us to speak the truth clearly of the gospel in every situation. We must be on guard and guard our lives with the scripture and speak and speak out of the truth, to, to, of its truth to those around us. The Bible's definition, if you were to kind of take what this means, it says to scold or correct with a gentle or kindly intent. It's to lovingly reprove someone, really, right? So it's to call someone out, but with love and compassion. See, we cannot come from this from a place of anger. I think, I think of Jesus in Matthew 23, 37. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen, her brood under her wings, but you are not willing. It is with compassion we hear Christ talk about Jerusalem, even though they rebelled. And in turn, we must realize this fallen world, we must be compassionate. I think about this a, a lot. And that just how much a few different decisions, maybe a couple different relationships, one different step. We think, oh, we look at the world and its brokenness around us. But let me tell you what, we could have all been right there if it weren't for the grace of God. Every one of us. God is good to us. So as I look at the world around me in its brokenness, I don't look at it with a anger, but with a zeal, understanding that God has called me out of my sin and in turn, he's called me to go talk to others about it. Now we notice, just moving on quickly here, to rebuke. We notice this as we continue in verse four, in verse 2, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So this is often the one we're most quickly to jump to, to rebuke the world around us. Let me clear, be clear, love is not the absence of truth. We have got to speak truth into the situations. We cannot just simply just love everybody and let them be in their sin. No, it is a, like I said, the salvation in Christ is a call to death. It's to repentance. So we have to speak truth, right? They, they go hand in hand, but we must be willing to stand upon the bedrock of truth and the word of God, God and to speak it to the world and tell others around us. We must speak it, speak that truth to the world around us. And this is the thing. A lot of times we hear the word, uh, maybe you've heard it before, you know, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. I want to just tell you that that's not a great statement. Is a, it's actually a very bad statement. Let me tell you why. Because the gospel can only be articulated through words. I may see that there's something different in your life, but how do I know what to do if you don't tell me how to do it? Right? How do I understand how to have salvation in Christ alone? How do I understand that I'm called to repentance unless you tell me first? Uh, we see this in Romans. He says, how are they to believe if they've never heard? Right? So we know that salvation comes from hearing the saving grace, the message of Christ, the good news of the gospel. So speak truth with words to the world around you. Number five, to exhort. Next we see Paul say to exhort. We must realize the urgency of our call. Our love should drive action. Oftentimes I see our frustration drive us to apathy. But listen, we will not win any political victory that will see our country turn around. It is by Christ alone. We might see a momentary thing happen, but listen, true transformation only comes from the work of Christ. No, it comes from God and God alone. From people who are being transformed by the work and the power of the gospel. We, must, we, are, we are in Christ, we who are in Christ are called to share the gospel with anyone who will listen. To speak truth with kindness, a heart of reproof. 
to call others to repentance as we rebuke, to engage with eagerness as we seek to share the gospel. Now, you might say, I'm no evangelist, but are you saved by the grace of Christ? Then let me tell you what, yes, yes, you are. In fact, you, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a watchman. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16 through 21, he says that, he, that we are watchmen over Israel. At the end of the seven days, the word Lord came to me, son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. Whenever you hear my, a word from my mouth, you shall uh, give warning from me. And if you say to the wicked man, you shall surely die, and you give no, if I say to the wicked man, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn him of his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require of your hands. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, and from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. We are called to look around us and see that we are watchmen in our communities, watchmen for the people who are broken around us. If we don't go, then who will, right? We have got to be faithful to bring the message and realize that your friends, your coworkers, your family, those are the people that God has given you in your life to be watchmen to share the gospel. There's this beautiful thing in that you are there's a three-dot theology I talk about all the time. Talk about it a little bit in Sunday school. God saves, we tell, they receive. God saves, we tell, they receive. You're only responsible for one dot in there. I can never and never have saved a single life. I'm incapable. But I can tell anyone who will listen about the goodness of God. God saves, they receive. I have to say focus on my message of sharing the gospel, not just to to achieve a spiritual level of I shared the gospel with five people this week. Let me tell you what, we want to build lives. We do want to share the gospel. We do want to be anywhere we can. But let me tell you what, we want to build relationships with people to say, come and see, follow me. Fisher, I'll make you a fishers of men. And now they go and make disciples themselves. We want to walk in the goodness of God and teach them to do the same also. Which leads us to our last point here in this section, which is to have patience and teaching. See, finally, Paul reminds us to be faithful and patient in trials. Complete patience in teaching, he says. See, we've been given a task, and he who began a good work in us will see it to completion. And so we have to realize it's going to take time, it's going to take love, it's going to take compassion. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some counted as slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but all should reach repentance in Christ. You know, I, I think about it, you know, listen, I understand. I, 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 there's a crown in heaven for those who are waiting for Christ's return, tells us, right? But the reality is we're called to task today to do the work. And so we say, why does the Lord tarry? Because let me tell you what, look around you and there are souls that need to hear about Jesus. We've got to realize that God is patient. He's not slow. He is patient. He is seeing what we cannot even begin to see. So when you see our world and you think, oh, it's so different from what it was 10 years, 15 years ago, 50 years ago, wherever you find yourself at, Thanks let me urge you to say, God's not done. And in neither, or near if Bethany, he's not Missouri, done, there's breath in our lives. He's not done with you either. We've got to be patient and endure and to as well teach as the gospel faithfully, even when it's not easy. For more information on you might say, you Daniel, don't you see those wicked world around us? God has to come back. But let me tell you, did he not tell us that this would happen? Matthew 10, 21 through 23 says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father is child. His children will rise up against parent and, and, they, and put them to death. And you will be hated for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. 
For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, now that, that, that we see this happening, God, that we, we see this happening around us, we want to just pull the ripcord. But let me tell you what, we're here, and the reality is, folks, I'm telling you, we should not be discouraged, but we should be encouraged in the season we see. Because Philippians 1.28 tells us, Now, do not be frightened by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of our salvation that is in God. When we see the world going and we see all this stuff happening, we urge you to say, our God is not done with us. He is moving mightily in our midst. And this is a sign that our God is still moving. He's still active. We always have lived in a wicked world. Maybe in various times in history we've hidden it better, but we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's why Paul draws our attention to the man-centered world next. The state of man and the man-centered world. Look with me at verse 3 and 4. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endorse sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Man has always sought to, to, work, to make all things work to our own benefit. This is why we see the easy come-as-you-are gospel that rules our airwaves. It's why those worship songs are what fills up our, our, our bestsellers, and our books are also the best-selling books are oftentimes self-help books disguised as Christian books. But let me tell you what, we live in a world that cannot simply hear, that we live in a world that can simply hear what I want to hear, and it says, hey, you're good enough, you are enough gospel, that you don't have to change, you don't have to repent from your sin and walk in a new life. No, well, then why would I choose to walk in a call to death? As we know, that we are called to die to our sin. So we have to understand we have to be patient. We have to be, sought to be our eyes on the prize. We have to realize that this man-centered world, that's going to be what we see. We want to fill our own hearts, get what we want out of it. Luke 9, 23 says, And he said to them, If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me to pick up our cross. John 12, 24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the, the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If it, if it remains, we don't bear fruit. When we die to ourselves, we bear much fruit. That call is not an easy one. So we have to understand the gospel is a, is a message that is difficult. Because it calls us to die itself. So that's why he next calls us to be sober-minded and focused. Look with me at verse 5. It says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, uh, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. We must stay focused and be sober-minded, not filled with anger at the world around us, to win, looking to win fights or debates. Instead, we must stay attentive and fulfill the work that we are called to, enduring what comes. Not because it's easy, but because he is worth it. Because I was bought with a price by Christ. And I serve my master. I must fulfill the task that he laid before me. We can't get off on the auxiliary issues of so many things. Let me tell you what, we preach Christ crucified. We preach the message of Christ crucified. And that is the transformative work. So what is our task? We know that we are called to be an evangelist. You are called to reach those around you. To tell them. To share the gospel with them. To walk with them. To mature them. To, to take and to be discipled and to disciple. And to fulfill the ministry that he has called us each to. So to do the work of evangelist and to fulfill the ministry he's called you to. Let me tell you what, there are people in your, in your sphere of influence that your pastor can never reach. That your deacons or elders or whatever polity you have here, let me tell you what, they cannot reach them. You are the one called to reach them. 
You know, faith is a muscle. You use it and it grows. I mean, it's not to say that you can become a, like, it's not like we just use it and become a spiritual Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that as we use it, God begins to develop and our, and our trust gets more and more. Where we thought we were going to start and where we end up, we can't imagine. You know, I told you, I, my mom and I were, were laughing the other day. Um, so I direct our super summer camp for the state of Missouri. And as I was, I was writing curriculum for all of our breakouts. And my mom laughed. And I told you I have a reading disability. And she joked, she said, Daniel, when you were in high school, could you have ever imagined that you'd have a job where you write curriculum? No, I'm 31 years old here in a couple days. And let me tell you what, I still can't believe that that's my job. But what I'll tell you is because God is great, not because I'm great. Let me, there's, there's no reason God should use me. I've given him every reason not to use me. And you may say, there's, oh, you don't understand. There's so many things in my life that I just can't, I, God just doesn't want me. Let me tell you what, it is in our greatest weaknesses that we show the greatness of God. It is not, when I stand up here and you hear me stumbling through and you hear these things, it's, I get embarrassed, I don't like it, but let me tell you what, I'll stand up and say, God uses me in spite of my brokenness. doesn't matter what we think we are, what we think we're good at, it is in God that we find our strength. It's not upon my greatness that I sit, but His greatness. And that drives us to action because if God has done this work in my life, how can I not do it to share other, share, how can I take it, not take it to share with others as well? It's a broken world we see. And we're called to not get lost in all the weeds, but to be focused on the ministry that God has called you to. You have a wonderful church body. I can tell that just by looking at y'all. You love each other. You talk. You minister, but let me tell you what, let the mission and purpose drive you. Because I don't know all the exact demographics and statistics of, of Bethany and the greater area around here, but I'll tell you one thing I do know. There's people that need Jesus outside of these walls. You know, the thing is, is God blesses us. Oftentimes our, our first thought is to swell it all up. Man, he's doing it, and then we get afraid to lose it. But you know, if you were to, if you, if you look at a, a plant, my wife has gotten into plants a lot, and she has potted plants all around, and there's some of them, as they grow too big, she has to move them to a bigger pot, because if she does, it'll actually hurt the plant, right? So oftentimes, we, we kind of forget, we want to hold all of our fruit in our basket and, and take it and say, this is all, well, look at me, but guess what? If you keep all a bunch of apples, you pick off your apple tree in a basket, and you never take them and give them and use them and eat them, make wonderful apple pie out of it. They're going to rot. The gospel is beautiful. And God, I can see it. I think I've enjoyed meeting and talking with your pastor so much. God is at work. But I'll tell you now, you have to have a kingdom focus to say, man, we can't just keep it all here. We've got to realize we're called to go out there. Otherwise, the goodness, the fruit that's seen here, it can spoil. It can rot. Our faith is called to be active. You say, man, today I just don't feel like I've just not been feeling the spirit. I'd implore you to say, have you been walking? Have you been doing? Have you been taking the task that God's laid before you? Because nothing makes you feel more depressed than when you're not, being, you're not being effective. You know it in your heart. God made us to be workers. And our churches are the same way. Our spiritual life's the same way. If we're not taking what God is doing and doing it, if he's not, if we're not taking the words, the truth that God has put in our lives and casting those seeds, letting that, that cup runneth over. A cup that's not running over, guess what happens? It gets to be stagnant, right? We want to have that flowing spirit through our lives, and that comes by being kingdom-minded.